Hello and welcome everyone to episode 31 of the Ducky O'Brien Show, and we have even more indie games galore for you today. Some of them are not so indie. We have Disgaea 7, Vows of the Virtualist. I'm a huge fan of NIS games personally. It's a turn-based strategy game if you haven't played it before. Tatari The Arrival, which is a demo for a horror game. It's really janky, it's more like a concept more than a demo. And then we have Ooblets, which is sort of like Viva Piñata. If you mash a little bit of Animal Crossing with like Harvest Moon and Pokemon, that's the game you get. And then finally we'll end with Sweet Dreams Alex, which is sort of like a tower defense puzzle game, but instead of building towers, you focus on making the maze. And before we begin, as always, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I am getting a few more lessons than normal. And once again, I don't know where all of y'all are coming from, but I truly thank you from the bottom of my heart. I don't know how long this is going to last. You know, it's nice when people are listening to it. So I I don't know if this is a scam email or not, but apparently my podcast was trending in the Netherlands, and I do have a friend there. Uh, He taught me some phrases, and and since this is the evening for me, Udenavond, everyone. All is hood. <laughs> That's all I know. Hopefully my pronunciation was acceptable. If there's anyone listening from the Netherlands, I apologize because I am an American and Americans are terrible at other languages and geography. Okay, why don't we start with Disgaea 7 Vows of the Virtualist. Disgaea 7 Vows of the Virtualist has all the hallmarks of a Disgaea game. You can lift teammates and enemies up creating a hilarious but highly mobile tower and proceed to throw people willy-nilly all over the place. Pretty still explode when thrown, as they should. You still have item worlds and other familiar mechanics carrying over, and topping it all off is the gorgeous anime artwork, excellent voice acting, and catchy music. The dubs are always fantastic for NIS games in my opinion. They hit the perfect balance of being pretty close to the original Japanese, and just enough corniness to make it charming. To be quite honest, while I am by no means a stranger to games from Nippon Ichi Software, I only remember playing the first Disgaea game way back on the PlayStation 2. I also remember enjoying Prinny Can I Really Be the Hero on the PSP, but that's not the same type of game. My perspective is from a person who hasn't played a lot of Disgaea games, so it may differ quite a bit from a fan of the franchise. Keeping that in mind, I'll definitely do my best to sum up some of the opinions I've read from the Steam reviews as an estimate of perception for more seasoned players first, and then proceed with my own feelings about the game second. For starters, there seems to be enough of a consensus that Disgaea 6 is probably the worst ranked Disgaea game out of all the Disgaea games. Now, not everyone will think this obviously, but I've seen enough of the sentiment online. For the most part, most reviews seem to rank Disgaea 7 as definitely better than the previous entry. The majority of complaints for Disgaea 7 seems to stem from the monetization of the game and not the content itself. The base game launched with the standard MSRP of $59.99 US dollars, but on top of this were a series of cosmetic and story DLCs making the total cost up to $100 and that's with a 30% discount off at launch. I personally don't like any sort of microtransactions or DLCs available in a game at launch, and if I could have it, I would have none period, but to each their own. 
At first glance, I don't really feel like content is missing from the game. While the pricing structure does feel scummy, it doesn't seem like it will impact the game too much in a negative way if you don't purchase the DLC. It sure doesn't feel pleasant though. The auto battle system, which was the focus of a lot of complaints in Disgaea 6, seems to be much improved in 7. Overall, most gamers seem to perceive Vows of the Virtualist to be a return to form. From my perspective, I find the game to be highly enjoyable. The gameplay is a very smooth mix of narrative delivery and turn-based goodness. There's usually a cutscene to progress the story and set up the battle, and these are quite enjoyable. The writing is full of puns and light-hearted humor. The game is set in a place in the underworld that seems to be very similar to Japan, and they have a lot of fun with the puns and names here, from Yudo to Sashi in the English dialogue. The Japanese dialogue seems to reverse the characters, so for example, Sushi would be Shisu, and so forth. I added my podcast, y'all don't understand how many times I had to say Shisu. <laughs> Moving on, all the lines of dialogue in these sequences are voice acted, and both the original and Japanese English voice acting is superb as I mentioned before, along with whoever translated the script. The English translation does miss out on a few nuances here and there, but these are impossible to capture in another language to begin with. The translation in NIS games is quite possibly some of the best I've personally seen. It manages to capture the spirit of the original dialogue and portray it in a way that would be the most easily understood to a western audience. Following the cutscenes are the battle sequences and these are standard turn-based goodness. Each map is a small bite-sized battle with optional objectives granting random rewards. The optional objectives in the very beginning of the game are related to the map layout and basic mechanics in order to help the player get acclimated. For example, one map you encounter in the very beginning has a lot of verticality in order to help the player get used to stacking and throwing squad mates around. The optional objectives require you to throw 3 or more times and to clear the level within 4 turns. These are aimed at gently pushing the player towards experimenting with mechanics and getting used to them. As a side note, I'm playing Disgaea 7 with keyboard and mouse and the controls are quite decent for the most part but I am starting to feel the shortcomings of a 60% keyboard layout. The more I play, the more I miss having a more full layout. I know, I play almost every game with keyboard and mouse, it's a disease at this point. Moving on, the sequence of cutscenes and combat are separated into stages, and the stages are grouped together into acts. There seem to be a total of 15 acts judging from the achievements, and the game should take anywhere from 35 to 45 hours to complete just for the main story. There's tens to hundreds of additional hours that can be spent grinding optional things as it is in most Disgaea games. I also enjoy the quirky way the mechanics are abstracted. For example, if you deconstruct a dark assembly mechanic, it's essentially a way to spend money to purchase passive upgrades. The way it's presented is by a hilarious show of printies and other entities voting on proposed bills, the bills being the upgrades, the assumer wrestling, and the only way to guarantee victory is to bribing the voting members. Much like how most governments work I suppose. Each member has items they like and you can buy those items with money or grind enough battles to earn them through drops. It's essentially a way to purchase upgrades but the presentation is hilarious and helps to create the unique feeling that identifies a Disgaea game as a Disgaea game. 
The story and characters are likable so far as well, and that's just my personal preference. If you don't like anime, you probably will not like the narrative. I've only spent about 6 hours so far, and that's only enough to touch the tip of the iceberg for this game. While the game doesn't require you to grind too much, I'm actually having fun replaying the levels and playing around with different characters, abilities, and tactics. Apparently the auto battle system can be used for already cleared levels and has a cost to use, but I personally have not engaged with it yet. Overall, Disgaea 7 Vows of the Virtualist is another fantastic entry in the long lineup of games from NIS. It's a masterful assemblage of addictive combat with an incredibly charming veneer. It also can't be disguised with an obligatory insertion of dude. For additional information, the game has a review score of 79% positive on Steam with a total of 316 reviews as of this writing on October 11th, 2023. Disguise 7 was developed by Nipponichi Software Inc. It was published by NIS America Inc. and was released on October 3rd, 2023 with an MSRP of $59.99 US dollars. So far I've spent a total of 6.1 hours with a total of 2 out of the 50 achievements. At this point, I'm just having fun grinding the beginning levels over and over again, so I haven't progressed too much into the story. Alright, moving on to our next game, Tatari the Arrival. Tatari the Arrival is a demo for a horror game, and it's pretty darn rough. It doesn't even feel like the game has reached an alpha phase, and we're just getting a look into a concept. Let's just say there's a metric ton of jank in the demo. Most things are placeholder so far. The game has AI voice acting as of now until they get professionals to do the dialogue. The AI voice acting is so terrible that it turns the game into an unintentional comedy. You can turn it off but I actually suggest leaving it on as I personally find it funny. Portions of the level seem like straight up acid flips and a lot of the mechanics feel very rough. Even basic movement did not feel very good. The movement speed was way too slow and there was this nauseating camera bob that was on by default if you turn off the motion blur. Now this may sound terrible but thankfully the demo seems to have been made to get feedback at the early stage of development and the devs are making constant updates to the demo. For example, the movement speed and camera bob issue were taken care of only after a few days from release. I think a developer actually dropped by my stream while I was playing this game. As for the game itself, it's essentially a combination of walking simulator and puzzle game. From what I've seen, I can sort of get what the developer's vision is for the game. You essentially get spirited away into another realm where you explore a small haunted Japanese village for clues to other missing people and also to find a way out. While the game looks very unpolished, if they manage to update the graphics and feel of the game, I can imagine a very spooky atmosphere since the game is supposed to be very dark and you use a lantern to look around. Sort of like the Amnesia games I suppose. You also stumble across occasional puzzles like the woodblock sliding puzzles and such. If they can create an atmosphere that's uneasy but chill enough where you can solve puzzles at your own leisure, then I can see the potential for this game. I did find the more relaxing pace of Tatari the Arrival a lot more palatable than the annoying mechanic of hiding from a monster that infects so many so-called horror games. The demo is very short and can be completed in around 30 minutes or so. It's hard to say whether or not the game will turn out to be good, but it'll definitely be interesting to keep track of its development. Best of luck to the developers. 
So far, Tartari The Arrival has a review score of 69% positive on Steam with a total of 123 reviews as of this writing on October 11, 2023. Tartari The Arrival was developed by Hidden Tower Studios and published by The Games Fortress. It was released on October 3, 2023. It's available for free on Steam right now if you want to check it out. I did receive a key from Keymailer. Thanks to the Spookly Ghost for giving me a key. I spent a total of 1.4 hours on the demo so far, and there are no achievements as this is a concept demo. Okay, moving on to our third game, Ooblets. You may have heard of Ooblets because it was supposed to come out and then it went exclusive on Epic Game Store. Apparently there was a lot of drama about this, but I personally don't care. Uh, why don't we get into it? Ooblets is immediately reminiscent of a modern take on Viva Piñata. A wholesome mix of village sim, some light farming, and a casual sampling of Pokemon. If you're not familiar with Viva Piñata, you grow Pokemon from the soil. Plants are people too, okay? Take that, Pita. At first glance, Ooblets definitely has a I'm not like the other girls vibe going on. The only problem is, it never stops. I'm only half joking because the aesthetic and feel of Ooblets is very colorful and cheerful, but it does get to be a bit too much when every single thing in the game tries so hard to be quirky for the sake of being quirky. This isn't too much of a problem as the gameplay is actually pretty solid for the most part. If we slap the quirk away, you're left with a casual farming village sim. You have a small farm where you punch away debris from the field. Yes, you actually punch branches out of existence and use a rock to get rid of other rocks. After clearing the field, you till the land, plant some crop and ooblet seeds, water them, and wait to harvest them in a few days. In between working your field, you venture forth to the nearby village and talk to the villagers, each trying their very best to say something out of left field. Talking to some of them will also activate quests, usually requiring you to go fetch a certain number of objects. The quests are mostly simple so they can be completed in a short amount of time thankfully. You can also dance battle other ooblets. The dance battle is a very simple card game where you have 3 energy and play cards to reach a score of 21st. As a side note here, I actually lost the tutorial level the second time through. It's, <laughs> it's to my great shame, I'm now a professional games journalist just failing at tutorial levels. Anyways, it's pretty simple and easy to grasp once you start playing it. Imagine it as a very trivial version of Clash Royale or a similar type of game. The main purpose of dance battling other ooblets is to get their seed. Once you defeat an ooblet in a Fortnite dance-off, you have the option to collect their seed. Not an innuendo, by the way. Once you grow the seed, the ooblet can join your squad and follow you around. There are other uses for ooblets as well. You can assign them to work machinery on your farm. I guess plants have no rights in the world of ooblets, so you can keep them working forever with no pay. I don't even recall having to feed the ooblets as well. This must be a dream come true for corporations. Jokes aside, I do find assigning Pokemon to menial labor very very funny, and there's one reason I'm looking forward to Pal World as well. In Pal World, the Pokemon have guns and you can even eat them. What a perfect game. Before I keep going off on a tangent, this is honestly the only way I can stay sane writing these articles sometimes, by just talking about random things. Machinery is very simple and either simplifies tasks such as the sprinkler system to water your crops for you in a large area, 
or aiding in cooking or construction, such as a cruncher that grinds up objects into intermediate crafting components. You simply slot an available oublet into the required slots, put in the required inputs, and then come back later when it's done. The farming and crafting feel pretty simple compared to other games, but it's by no means bare bones. It's more of a casual experience than one made for masochists micromanaging their farms to be efficient machines of endless production. As for how you acquire the upgrades, you collect wishies by completing tasks, and then use said wishies at the wishy well to unlock blueprints and other upgrades. Anyways, once the blueprint is unlocked, you can craft the device if you have the required materials. There are other familiar mechanics as well, such as building up friendship meters with other villagers via a sticker system, a very rudimentary fishing minigame, scanning and 3D printing small sculptures of ooblets for the display area, and etc. The fishing, I feel like, sums up the gameplay of ooblets for me. It's way too shallow. For fishing, you recycle 10 mystery cans in the reconstitutor to turn into basic bait, and then walk up to the sea dangle on the pier and it automatically just fetches you an item. There's no thrill in the fishing, it's just all done for you. Most of the gameplay feels similarly shallow and hollow, but with a ton of quirkiness added on top. I will also say as an aside that the limited stamina systems in most farming sims are starting to annoy me a lot as I get older. I want to spend an inordinate amount of time chopping down trees and breaking rocks sometimes, and the game won't let me do that until I spend time doing equally tedious but undesired tasks. Now it's fine if I want to grow crops and collect ingredients to cook food to replenish stamina, but if I don't want to, then I'm wasting time. I guess if we're gonna get philosophical here, one could argue all video games in general are a waste of time, and that perhaps one is merely addicted to the slow dopamine drip of progression systems and the content treadmill, and not having any actual quote-unquote fun at all. That may be true, but by golly, when I want to punch rocks and chop trees, let me do it. This goes for tiny inventory systems as well, I'm tired of this. I guess games just don't have the technology yet, according to Diablo 4. <laughs> Going back to the game, it's not necessarily a terrible thing that Ooblets feel shallow because it makes the game very accessible for players looking for a more chill experience. However, those looking for more depth should look into other games where you can dig much deeper into the mechanics. See that farming pun there? I'm proud of myself. Anyways, turns out Ooblets is indeed not like the other farming sims, but not in the way it wanted to be. For additional information, the game has a review score of 90% positive on Steam with a total of 259 reviews as of this writing on October 11, 2023. Ooblets was developed and published by Glumberland and was released on October 5, 2023 with MSRP of $29.99 US dollars. I received a key from Keymailer thanks to the rootin' tootin' person for approving my requests. I spent a total of 3.9 hours playing the game so far and I have 5 out of the 27 achievements unlocked. Okay, moving on to our final game, Sweet Dreams Alex. Sweet Dreams Alex is like a tower defense game, but without the towers. There is a singular monster taking the shortest path towards a sleeping child. It's your job to create a maze to make sure the dream ends before the monster makes it to the kid. Later levels have multiple monsters, faster monsters, and benevolent ice cream creatures. Who doesn't like ice cream? So the game provides more of a challenge than you think. The game is separated into individual levels and each level requires you to create a maze that will deter the monster for 60 seconds. 
The monster takes one step each second, so basically you have to create a maze that will be around 60 steps in length. The difficulty in Sweet Dreams Alex does start off on the easy side because you can use unlimited resources to create the maze. The resources for the first world happens to be cardboard boxes since Alex is in the process of moving. The game is based from the perspective of a child's imagination and is pretty darn wholesome. As the game progresses, the levels have sections pre-built, limited resources to create the maze, and more monster spawn points. It gets even more difficult when you have both the speedy monster, which moves twice as fast, and the ice cream spawning at the same time since you have to allow the ice cream to reach the kid while preventing the fast monsters from doing the same. The ice cream reaching the kid is an optional objective, but I am a completionist so I like to do everything. While there is definitely a challenge, the game moves at a very relaxing pace. If you fail, you can simply continue with designing your maze. You can take as much time as you need and experiment as much as you want before you complete the level and move on to the next one. I've noticed in general that using the edges of the map, doubling back to walls you've created, and using pre-built walls as guides to be general strategies if any of you are having trouble with the puzzles. You want to create the longest path possible, and the map gives gentle visual cues to aid the player. Once you finish the first area, there are additional optional levels called constellation levels that provide a greater challenge and then moves on onto another dream world where the mechanic changes completely. The second dream world focuses on streets and creating long paths by using traffic signals and crosswalks. The monsters learn from their parents well and will not cross a street that does not have a crosswalk. If they find a crosswalk, they will look both ways before crossing the street and it actually uses up more time. These monsters are very well-mannered. The focus of the puzzle shifts from designing mazes to placing the few crosswalks and traffic signals you have available to create the longest path possible. Traffic signals are paired with switches and once the monster steps on the switch, it will change it from a green light to a red light. Since all monsters obey traffic signals, once they run into a red light, they will do a prompt 180 and march in the other direction. This is essentially a mechanic to make the monster walk the same path twice. It would sure be nice if all drivers obeyed traffic signals like these monsters did. Jokes aside, these puzzles are a bit more difficult because you have very few placeable objects and have to consider the map and road layout much more closely. I didn't get to the other worlds past this one, but they also have new mechanics so that's something to look forward to. Overall, Sweet Dreams Alex is a pretty chill puzzle game that starts off like a tower defense game and then evolves into something more cerebral. For additional information, the game currently has a review score of 100% positive reviews on Steam, with a total of 25 reviews as of this writing on October 12, 2023. Sweet Dreams Alex was developed by Clarity Games, it was published by Casado Games, and was released on October 5, 2023 with an MSRP of $14.99 US dollars. I received a key from Keymailer, thanks radical person. I've spent a total of 4.7 hours so far, and I have 5 out of 32 achievements unlocked. Okay, that's gonna be it. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. As a side note, I don't know if anyone makes it this far, but I will be traveling to Korea in like a week or so, and I'll be staying there for about two weeks. I'm going to try to cover as many games as possible and then have podcast episodes scheduled for release, but there's no guarantees. I am doing as much work as humanly possible to cover as much games as possible. 
So hopefully it will be enjoyable for you guys. I don't know if the email was accurate, but if there are a lot of listeners from the Netherlands, danke. <laughs> uh, I know a little bit of German, and so what little Dutch I know gets mixed up with the German. So Anyway, shout out to my buddy Sprinks. He doesn't listen to this, but yeah, if you ever do, we'll play EVE Online together one of these days. Okay, that's gonna be it. Uh, once again, thank you guys so much. I don't know where you guys are coming from, but if you want to reach out, you can email me at duckyobrienshow at gmail.com. That's D-U-C-K-Y-O-B-R-I-E-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Once again, the email is duckyobrienshow at gmail.com. I also create video previews on YouTube. And I have the written version of this podcast on my blog. And I also stream the games. If you want more coverage of these games, those are available for you. I'm not, I'm not necessarily pimping these links because I don't make quote-unquote content. It's just, for the most part, purely as a service to anyone interested in seeing more of the game. So those are available if you're interested in a game and you want more information. I have those outlets available. If you go to my blog at Ducky O'Brien. Dot com, it should have all the links to all of that. You can just Google me as well. My channels and all the platforms should pop up. Man, thank you to everyone for listening once again. I, I really do appreciate you guys. This has been episode 31 of the Ducky O'Brien Show. Thank you so much for dropping by and listening. And as always, hope you guys are staying safe and seeing out there. And I'll catch you guys next time. Disgaea 7 Vows of the Virtualist has all the harm. Disgaea 7 Vows of the Virtualist has all the harm. So, for example, sushi would be sushu. Sushi, si, 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 su.